Once again, it's time for Middle Age Gaming. Today brings us to our third part of our Life in Taiwan series. It's not always sunny in paradise, and this time we'll be going into some of the difficulties we faced living abroad, ranging from language to medical care to personal relationships. And with that, let's get started with today's episode, Dangerous Difficult Differences. everyone and welcome back to episode three of our life in Taiwan series today like we mentioned at the end of last week's episode we're going to talk about difficulties we have experienced in Taiwan uh, no place is perfect and neither is Taiwan that doesn't mean we don't love it uh, no matter where you live in the world there will always be issues to deal with and that is part of growing up and getting older perhaps so there's that and a bunch of other stuff today so Adam why don't you start us off with your first story or anecdote all okay. right well the first one's kind of short uh Taiwan Beautiful country, but uh, we have some awful, especially down here in the south, especially in Kaohsiung, we have some awful, awful air quality. I mean, it's just really, really bad. And to give you an example of that, when we first got married, not Korean and I, but myself and my wife, uh, <laughs> when we first got married, we moved into an apartment and we were on the, I don't remember which floor it was, maybe like 15 or something like that. And most of the buildings around us were relatively short. And you look out and you can just kind of see, you know, the cityscape going off into the distance and we lived there for maybe a year and a half or so and one day i wake up and it was just a a, a really clear day and i go out and i go into the computer room where we have like this wall-sized window and whatnot and i look out and there's this huge mountain in the distance like massive mountain behind the buildings and it was just kind of weird to me and i was like what i've lived here for a year and a half and i've never seen this mountain i had no idea that there's a mountain out there and yeah that just kind of gives you an idea of how bad the air quality is that an entire mountain was existing unknownst to me for a year and a half and i we lived in that house for maybe two years and i've seen that i saw i saw that mountain maybe three times in total so in you know two years you you can only see this mountain just a few times. Yeah, our air quality is really, really bad. You can definitely, when you're driving down the road, you can see it, and, you know, in the distance. You can you can see the haze. And after it rains, it's usually not that bad. But uh, sometimes it can get really, really bad. So that's my little anecdote on air quality. You have any air quality stories? or? Oh, yeah. Um, not even my story. Uh, we had a, a former co-worker who now lives in Taidong, which is uh, one of the probably most beautiful parts of Taiwan, according to a lot of people. And he was telling me, like, whenever he comes back to Kaohsiung and he drives there, and there's, like, a visible difference from driving from Taidong to Kaohsiung, as in, like you said, he describes it as seeing a physical wall of dirty air at some times in the year where you just drive and from the clean air to the dirty air, and uh, that's it. And, I mean, you guys will have noticed, if you've been listening to our podcast, Adam and I sniff. Uh, a lot and make that sound, you know, because you know after living here for over a decade, you know, our uh, respiratory systems are not what they used to be. <laughs> it's definitely true. And that's part of the reason I think why people wear a lot of face masks here is because of the dirty air. Yes. Um, obviously, it's more socially acceptable in terms of like disease and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, that's a big thing. But talking about in terms of disease, I'm going to skip my superstitious uh, anecdote for a second and skip on to medical industry. So Taiwan has an amazing medical industry. It's really great. Just to give you an example, I went to the dentist on Friday and I had some like, you know, fillings put in and it cost me $100. And by $100, I mean $100 NT, which is a little more than $3 US. 
So you can go to the dentist and get your fillings in for a little more than $3. For somebody who's living in the States, that's just insane to be able to do stuff for so cheap. Uh, but there is kind of a downside, and that is that the medical industry here in Taiwan is kind of turned into a bit of a service industry. So the way that doctors, I had a student who really wanted to be a psychologist and he thought being a psychologist was really interesting, but he, he knew that if he wanted to do it, he would never do it here in Taiwan. He would have to do it in the States. And the reason for that was because the way the government compensates doctors and allows for these really, really cheap medical care is they compensate a doctor based on the number of patients that they see. So for somebody like a psychologist that spends maybe an hour or two hours with a patient, you know, you're only going to see maybe, you know, eight patients a day or so. And because of that, you'll only be compensated for eight patients. Whereas if you're, say, like an ears, nose and throat doctor, you can see hundreds of patients a day. So you'll be compensated for hundreds of patients. And apparently it's not it's not across the board and or it is across the board and how they compensate people. So a psychologist is going to be compensated roughly about as much as, say, an ears, nose and throat doctor. Well, because of that, that means that doctors are encouraged to see patients as quickly as possible. So you don't have these long wait times like what you do in other countries that have good medical care. The wait times are relatively short. So because it's super cheap and because the wait times are relatively short, people tend to go to the doctor a lot. And especially with older people, they'll go to a doctor if they just have like a small problem. And if the doctor doesn't give them the result that they want, then they will go to another doctor because it's so cheap and easy and fast. And because of this, doctors almost kind of had to, if you want to get that money, you have to keep patients coming in. If you want to keep patients coming in, you have to provide that service that they don't want to go to other doctors. So it, to a point, it almost feels like a lot of times doctors tend to give people what they want and not the actual medical advice that they need. Uh, so I do feel like sometimes they over-medicate I've taken pictures of where I've had a cold and I'll have to take like nine different pills and two different syrups. It's just kind of crazy how much they medicate you. And so I, I do kind of feel like where the medical system works really, really well. I think people do lean on it a little too heavily because it is so available. It's kind of like going to a restaurant and, you know, getting the food that you want. And if you don't like the food, you just go to another restaurant. Well, here it's, I go to the doctor, I say, I have a headache or a cold. And he says, well, just, you know, go home and get some rest. I don't like that result. I wanted medicine. So I'm just going to go to another doctor that will give me the medication I want. And so I, I do think that that's a bit of a problem because I do feel like sometimes doctors kind of, yeah, they're kind of like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you there's something that's really, really wrong. And there's really not that big of a deal because I've had some times where I've had a cold and my in-laws, my mother-in-law, especially, you gotta go, you gotta go to the doctor. And I'm like, it's just a sneeze. It'll be gone in two days. I'll just drink some orange juice and I'll be fine. You know, like, but then no, you have to go to the doctor and then you go to the doctor and you end up with like nine pills and it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, about you? What do you think of our medical industry? Um, I'm going to sneeze just now. So <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so I'll continue with that and kind of phase into my superstitions thing. Go ahead. Chinese medicine is obviously still good, big here. You know, I mean, it's a traditional thing. But they kind of have these interesting views. I don't think I buy into the whole Chinese medicine thing as much as some people do. Because the way it's been described to me, as my wife would say it, was that there's this kind of belief that Western medicine is a give or take thing, where if you're taking if you're taking Western medicine, you're fixing a problem, 
but it's causing damage somewhere else in your body. So if you take like a headache medicine, it might alleviate your headache, but it's damaging your liver. Or if you take stomach medication, it might, you know, alleviate your stomach, but it's, you know, making your blood less oxidized or something like that. So they have this belief that Western medicine is a quick fix, but it comes at a cost. And Chinese medicine is supposed to be, it doesn't have the cost, but it's not a quick fix. It's a slow fix. And so a lot of times, like, for instance, if my wife is having allergies or something like that, you know, in the West, we would take something like maybe, was it uh, Allegra or something like that, if you have yep, allergies. Yep. So, you know, you might take some medication for that. But then here, the idea is like, well, if you take that medication, it might alleviate your allergies today, but it's causing some kind of damage somewhere else in your body. It's, it's bad for you in another way. And Chinese medicine is not bad for you in another way, but it's a slow fix. So, you know, you won't feel better today. You won't feel better maybe even this week. You have to take it for a series of a month or six months. And then over time, you'll slowly get better. And to me, that sounds less like medicine and more like a vitamin supplement. So I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say there's no medical benefit to it, but I don't, in my definition of medicine, I, I'm not quite sure that that really applies, you know, because it's kind of like, okay, so what you're telling me is that if you're sick, you take this and then you'll get better, but you won't get better at a faster rate than you would if you hadn't taken it. It's just going to help prevent you from getting sick again, you know, and it's like that, that to me sounds like a vitamin supplement where it's not going to cure a disease, but it's going to help your body be a little bit stronger and able to resist disease a little bit better. So there is that. And then the other thing is that there's usually no scientific basis on why it works. It's usually just, oh, it's tradition, it works. Whereas with Western medicine, you can go to like to a vaccine and you can say, okay, it blocks these receptors on a, on your cells. And so they don't respond to a virus or, you know, this, this antibiotics has a certain component that is toxic to this form of bacteria, but a human body cell isn't going to absorb it. It's not something that a human body cell will recognize. And so it's, you know, damaging to this microorganism, but not to you. So there's some sort of science that goes behind it, but the Chinese medicine just seems to be like, you know, thousands of years of we've been doing it, it's been working. So it works. And if somebody comes along and says, well, why? They're like, it just does. Don't question it. It's been working for thousands of years. Ah, oh, Chinese medicine. You have some opinions there too? or? Oh yeah, of course. For for me, I mean, and I've tried it a few times. So I, I've had like, uh, I've had different na names for it, like eczema on my head or uh, seborrheic dermatitis when I was diagnosed in America, which is like a skin issue. Uh, I think I've shown it to Adam. Uh, you guys can see it up here. It's not as bad as it used to when I was younger. But I, I remember I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, yeah, so if you want the slow solution, you can try taking Chinese medicine. And I did. Oh, if you want the fast solution, take this volcanic sulfur ash composition made in Italy, and that will work faster, <laughs> which is what I did. Uh, because, and it's, it's over the few years I've tried and I've gone to. So for our, if you're listening on the podcast, uh, you probably can't see this, but uh, I mean, I've been to the Chinese doctor, my boss in the architecture company. Uh, he has an on-call Chinese doctor, and sometimes that dude will check me out. And the Chinese doctor, literally what they do, they'll put their hand like, Oh, let me get this in focus on your wrist like this for a few seconds. And then after that, they will tell you what is wrong with your body. And uh, that's happened to me a few times. And, and I mean, I can kind of see like a scientific basis for that. For that, you know, if the whole Asian concept of uh, chi or chakras in, in Indian philosophy and stuff. And from that, you can 
understand the disturbances in the body's chi or your chakra points, whatever. But I'm like, I don't know. This is my, again, describing it for our podcast listeners, my quizzical face because I don't really believe it. <laughs> so I, I'm definitely in, in Adam's world. You know, uh, my dad was a doctor as well and very much focused on Western medicine. Um, he did start moving more into the natural stuff uh, as he was getting older, I believe anyway, but I'm still like, uh, if I'm sick, I will still prefer to go to, you know, an ENT or uh, ear, nose, throat doctor here than to go to a Chinese medicine doctor. Uh, my partner, Zona, she does Chinese medicine sometimes because she's also not a big fan of medicine, but I'm, I mean, I've been taking medicine since I was like four or five years old, so I don't yeah, I remember seeing, I mean, I, some things I can kind of get, like you were saying with the chakra thing, like, for example, uh, acupuncture, I've done that a few times. And where do you go to get acupuncture? Uh, there's a place on uh, Boai. It's oh. like, right, if you're going north, it's right across Jioru, and it would be on the left. That's always been a thing I've wanted to try because my older brother does it for allergies in England. Yeah, so I mean, and I've I've seen studies where people say that in in some way, Acupuncture does kind of work because the idea is that your body, obviously, when, you know, if you get wounded, it'll send things there to help heal the wound. So it sends, you know, whatever receptors or whatever. And with acupuncture, because you kind of put it in and you twist it a little bit and it's got the little spring on it. So it's kind of vibrating. Your body recognizes it as damage, but the actual damage of the needle itself is so small that your body overcompensates for that. And then because it has all these extra kind of little, I don't know what they're called, but you know, the, the things that are supposed to like repair wounds and that sort of thing in that part of the body that if you ha say have like uh, painful joints or something and you put the acupuncture in that area, it'll, you know, put things in that area to help with what it identifies as a problem, but since they're already there, that they're just kind of doing their job and they help alleviate joint pain and that sort of thing. So I, I, I do think that there's probably some kind of scientific reason for it, but a lot of times people just kind of dismiss it and I'm kind of like, that's sketchy to me. So I'm not a, and then I, and then again, like I said, I'm sure there's maybe some medical benefit. I mean, people have been doing it for thousands of years. There's probably not, it's obviously not harmful. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I don't know if I'd consider it medicine as much as, say, a vitamin supplement. You know, it's probably healthy, but I wouldn't trust it if I was sick. I, you know, it's probably more of like, this is something you should do every day. And that's how my wife always describes it is this is it's, it's not she, she would describe it as Western medicine is reactive, whereas Chinese medicine is, is preventative. So Chinese medicine is not supposed to cure you. It's supposed to prevent you from getting sick in the first place. I always want to get your thought on this. I, I mean, I mean, Indians have their own. They call it Ayurvedic medicine, and my mom is a, is a believer in that. But um, I, I think traditional medicine is gonna fall behind, or if it not all, if it hasn't already fallen behind, because our genes and our bodies and our environment has changed so much from, you know, a hundred, five hundred, two, three, five thousand years ago. So I mean, I. I believe and again this is just my opinion so if you're a big fan of traditional medicine uh you can send me hate mail you know <laughs> at middleagegaming2020 at gmail.com nice plug um <laughs> yes yeah but but I, I i believe it's actually doing a lot of people a disservice and i think traditional medicine can't compensate for the way people's bodies have changed and conditions that have emerged and uh disabilities you know and uh 
like uh, MLS and other sort of stuff that that things that have affected people's bodies and, and I mean even brain chemistry has changed drastically from a long time ago. So I mean I honestly believe traditional medicine shouldn't be as popular as it is now. I think part of it is just people panicking and I, I think it's kind of like what I was saying with the medical industry here people want a certain result and when western medicine isn't giving them what they want then you know, they refuse to look at any kind of limitation. And so they move on to other things. And I do think there is a bit of a sales pitch in it where it's like, oh, this is all natural. We're using ginseng or whatever. And, you know, I think it kind of appeals to people who are more healthy oriented, you know, people like like vegans or people who are looking for more of a less of a carbon footprint and that sort of thing. Because I think in some ways, Western medicine does kind of, if you think about how it's manufactured, you know, you get these ideas of factories pumping out pills you know and that sort of thing and i think for some people that just feels very unnatural whereas the idea of you know wet eastern medicine they're thinking of you know people pulling a plant out of the ground and putting it in a bowl and mortar and like you know crushing it up into powder and and i think that for people that are health conscious and more of because i think people do want kind of that natural return to nature kind of thing i think people are stressed out by computers and technology and that sort of thing so i think there is an appeal there Good point. And so I think I think it's I think it's a lot of it is kind of a sales thing, and then and then part of it's just people just not being able to let go of uh, tradition. You know, people have a hard time uh, if you've been doing something for a long time, and somebody says, "Nope, here's a better way." You know, we're resistant to that. We we don't like it. We're just mm -mm, you know. But I mean, I, I mean, when you think about like COVID nineteen and stuff, I mean, a lot of the problems that have existed, I mean, around the world, not so much Taiwan because of government rules and stuff, but is because, you know, there are a lot of, you know, uh, QAnon and uh, other people, like natural medicine people. Who, I have an elementary school classmate who is a Facebook friend. And when people start getting the coronavirus vaccine and she posted these clearly doctored videos of people reacting to the vaccine in horrible ways. And I watched one. I'm like, man, that is just totally fake. And yeah. I didn't say anything to her because, I mean, we're not even that close friends or anything like that. But I'm like. I think a lot of these people have a problem and governments and stuff need to take action towards natural medicine as serious as that sounds. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of it's the face mask thing too. I think, you know, in the States, people hadn't been wearing face masks traditionally. And if you saw that, it had kind of a, a stigma to it. You know, this person must be really sick, right? And, and And so I think that was back to the thing about how people sometimes don't like it when somebody comes out and says, this is a better way. And you're like, I've been doing it for this long and I've been fine and don't tell me what to do. Mm. So I think in, in the West, it's the face masks. People were resistant to it. And over here, there's kind of this, you know, here's Western medicine and they're no traditional is better. True. But yeah, as far as our bodies are changing, I mean, what was it they were saying, for example, part of the reason that people in the eighties and seventies were thinner than they are now is because the, bacteria in our gut has changed over time and so they just had they were just naturally had higher metabolisms or something like that because the the, the gut has that. changed um so yeah i mean we're definitely changing and and things need to adapt i also remember seeing an article maybe it was a few years ago and there was a bit of a scandal because there was a manufacturer of chinese medicine and they found out that roughly one third i think it was one third of the medicine was actually western medicine so, for example, wow. they had Chinese medicine that was supposed to, you know, and they're saying like, oh, this stuff is going to help get rid of your headache. But it turns out that like, you know, 
it was a powder and one third of the powder was Tylenol and the other two thirds were Chinese medicine. So then there was kind of a scandal. I was like, oh, well, this Chinese medicine is popular because it works, but it's actually got Western medicine in it. (laughs) So there was a bit of a scandal there. Um, I was thinking we might want to skip a little and go to like, probably a good idea. I mean, when I create the created the script, I sent a message to Adam. I was like, Adam, what are we going to talk about today? Because I totally forgot. So I mirrored a bunch of random stuff. And then Adam was like, in the end, after I finished writing, it was like, oh, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z. I'm like, oh, man, this is so much better than what I wrote. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to touch on the cultural differences topic, since that is one of the topics in my 3Ds title for today. So sure. uh, once you hit us up with some differences, uh, things you've noticed, things that surprised you. Uh, well, obviously, like I said, the uh, the medicine is a big one. Uh, and I, I think a lot of times, one thing that kind of annoys me about cultural differences when people say it is I feel, this is my opinion, I, I, I know there are definitely people that disagree with me, but I feel that cultural differences is kind of a, an excuse a lot of the time in that somebody will say something like, oh, you can't understand this because of cultural differences or, oh, you know, you just don't understand because of cultural differences. And and to me, it feels like that's usually used as a way to end a conversation. And a lot of times it's either, you know, I feel like a lot of times it's actually more of the person who says it, it's, it's on them. And they're basically saying, I don't want to explain this thing to you, or I don't think you can understand it. You know, so it's kind of coming out of that and and not always, but there, there are definitely people who refuse to listen because, again, they don't like different ideas. But for me, I, I feel like fundamentally, it's kind of like how people say pretty much all religions have the same base. You know, killing is bad. Uh, you know, don't cheat. Don't lie. You know, there, there are certain basic rules on how to be a good human. And basically every religion follows these rules of morality. Right. And I feel like that's kind of humans in a nutshell, you know, like you can come to, you know, people say, oh, the Japanese are very polite. And it's like, yes, and in, in, in general, they're very polite, but you're going to have a Japanese guy that would sell his, that would throw his mother under a bus for a dollar. And you have an American guy that's going to do that, right? You have, you have a Japanese guy who's completely loyal to his family and he would do anything for his family, but you have Westerners that'll do that too, where family is everything. And so uh, for me, I feel like, you know, that human experience is not unique to any one culture. Culture is the way we express ourselves, but we as human beings are fundamentally the same. You're going to see the same themes. You're just going to see them expressed slightly differently. But uh, yeah, so like, for example, in Taiwan, my wife, she said, oh, you know, like I could never date. A Taiwanese guy, but not because she's against it, but because she feels like no Taiwanese guy would ever date her because she's just too independent. For example, you know, like she wants to do things and I have friends, you know, and, and I had a friend one time and she said, oh, I can never date a foreigner. And the reason I can never date a foreigner is because I like having a guy that takes charge and foreigners would give me too much freedom. You know, they'd be like, do what you want. You want to get a job? Go ahead. You know, and she's like, I kind of like having somebody there to make those decisions and kind of take that decision making off of me and my wife's the opposite she would never like that but like for example when we got married uh, at first my wife so in in chinese culture it's traditional that there's a dowry similar to in western culture however in western culture the dowry was made by the girl's family 
And what it was is, hey, you know, I have this money. So that way, when guys come and they want to marry my daughter, I can make sure she marries a good guy because this money will attract a lot of guys and I can pick which one I like. So the purpose of a dowry was to make sure that your daughter marries a good guy. In Chinese culture, there's a dowry where the idea is when a woman gets married, she leaves her parents, this family, and she joins the family of her husband. So the family of the husband is supposed to give the dowry to the girl's parents. And that's basically the parents can go through and they can say like, oh, look at the, look at which family's offering the most money. That family's very successful. If our daughter joins that family, she's going to have a good life. So in both cultures, we have this idea of exchange for money in order to guarantee that daughters have a good life, you know? So on the surface, it looks different because like in Chinese culture, it looks like they're selling their daughters. But fundamentally, it's this idea that we want to guarantee that our daughters are having a good life. And that's what I'm saying when I'm saying like, culturally i think you know the differences are kind of a superficial thing but at the at the lowest level of it it's you're caring about your family and it's just a different expression of that and so from one it looks like you're selling her but really the the motivations are the same but anyway when we got married my wife's mom was kind of like oh you know so does he know that we have this tradition that his family should give our family money you know and my wife's like we're not doing that we are not <laughs> doing that at all and so, you know, at first her mom was kind of adverse to it. She's like, oh, no, 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 this is tradition. You know, when your brother got married, we had to give money to his wife's family. You know, so when you get married, his, you know, your husband's family is supposed to give money to us. And of course, we didn't do that. And my wife absolutely refused to allow that to happen. Uh, my sister-in-law, however, that did happen where her husband gave my in-laws money. And but part of it was another thing that was interesting was at our wedding, my father-in-law, he was big smiles. He was super happy. At my sister-in-law's wedding, he was kind of crying. <laughs> and and part of that was, you know, my sister-in-law was like, well, when Maggie married Adam, you were super happy. But, you know, when I got married, you cried. Why? You know, like that's that seems opposite. And from his perspective, he was like, well, it's because Maggie was wearing Adam, who's an American. She's still going to be in our family because their culture, she gets to come home. She gets to stay here. You know, I don't feel like I'm giving her away. But with you, you know, you're going to move to Taipei. You're going to live with their in-laws. I'm not going to see you that much anymore. And so that was kind of a big cultural difference was that um, this kind of expectation of and that's changing so that, you know, daughters now are visiting their parents a lot more than they used to. But that's kind of a traditional thing. But yeah, as my uh, father said at our wedding, he felt like or maybe it was my mother-in-law who said, I don't remember one of them said it, though, that, you know, in traditional Chinese society, when you give away or giveaway is probably a bad way to say it, but when a daughter gets married, you know, you, you feel like you're losing a daughter. You're giving your daughter to another family. But when we got married, they felt like they were gaining a son because, you know, in the Western tradition, you know, you're kind of in between the two families. You're not on one side or the other. And so, you know, I see them pretty often. My wife sees them almost every day for dinner. Uh, so that, that that's one big, pretty big cultural difference. What about you? Man. After that story, how the, hell, how the hell do I follow from that? <laughs> There's lots of cultural differences. There is, but I mean, you just start off with this big, you know, like double whammy of uh, marriage and stuff and very <laughs> in-depth, deep. All right, all right. Uh, let's see if I can think of a smaller one real, real No, no, quick. no, no. I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll follow up with you the light stuff. It. You can tell me I, I apologize, listeners and viewers. Yep. Hmm. I don't have anything as fantastic as Adam's story. I can give you a smaller one. 
No, no, no. It's okay. it's good. Um, cultural differences. Wow, there there were so many when I came. I'm gonna touch on some of the easiest stuff. Probably some of you already know, but maybe some of you don't. The the shoe stuff still drives me mad because when you enter an Asian person's house, I can take off your shoes, and I hate it. Oh, I should say I hate it in my house as well because my partner, uh, she always insists I have to wear slippers in the house. But you know, in some other like Taiwanese friends' house, I can take off my shoes and just walk around barefoot. That's what I, I do. Love. The slippers thing got me, and I was like, no, I'll just walk around barefoot. It's too much of a hassle. <laughs> Because I mean, I grew up in South Africa, and I used to walk around barefoot all the time, and I hate wearing shoes because my feet always feel particularly hot in summer and particularly cold in winter because I've got poor circulation. That is the thing, and uh, I I also hate, uh, not really hate, I dislike the um, and Zona she dislikes it as well. Is that like when you go to a store here, uh, the idea of uh, in Chinese we say fu or service is a big thing. So when you when you're going shopping for shoes or clothes, you know the sales clerk will always come up to you and say, uh, "Hey, would you like some help? Or uh. this is a good deal? Or uh, what do you need? Or something like that." And it's it's quite a lot of pressure uh, for some people. For me, I'm I'm actually kind of cool with it most of the time, uh, except if I'm in a rush, which is more and more recently as I've gotten older. I try to avoid uh, eye contact. <laughs> but yeah, loads of people really really dislike that. Um, uh, we talked about the street in Gaoshan called Jingo Road, and if you're walking around there, people will say in English a lot more often now is like, "Oh, are you looking for a computer?" I'm like, "No, I'm just looking for a graphics card." But yeah, th- those are some of the small anecdotes. Ah, uh, yeah, I was gonna say um, one of the things, one of my little pet peeves here is uh, Christmas. So every Christmas and birthday, I ask my wife what she wants. Right? I say, well, "Okay, give me your Christmas list," and she's like, "Well, I don't want anything." If I want something, I'll just buy it for myself. Because in, in Chinese culture, you, you don't often give gifts. Usually you just give a red envelope with money inside. And I've tried to explain to my wife that at least for me, I, I, mean, I mean, obviously now I think children like money more. But growing up, we were always kind of told that money was kind of a cop-out gift. Like if you really care about somebody, you should know what they want and get them that. And it's a way of showing like, I care about you. I know you. I know what you want. So I'm going to get this for you. If I give you money, it's kind of like, eh, you know, like just get whatever you want. I just feel obligated to get you something, you know, so I'm going to let you do the work and, and think about it. And so at least for us, you know, it was, it was considered polite to, to buy somebody a gift because it showed you cared. And so, you know, I'll, I'll tell my wife like, oh, hey, you know, what do you want? Give me a list or something, you know, and, and I'll pick something or I'll sit there all year long and, and try to think about something that she'll want. and because she never grew up in a culture of gift giving, she's not used to it. So if she sees something, she'll just buy it. So if I do have something where I'm like, she's mentioned she kind of wants something and I'll be like, oh, okay. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, there it is, you know, sitting on the table. So, <laughs> um, so that, that, that does kind of get me a little bit because I've tried to explain to her multiple times. I'm like, no, this is, and, and I'm like, okay. And I've, I've told her like the story of the gift of the Magi and stuff like that. And I'm like, the point is, you know, then she's like, well, I'll just get whatever I want. You know, don't worry about it so much. And I'm like, no, I want to get you a gift. I want to do this for you. I want to have, I want to be able to provide something that you want. And I want to be able to, you know, do this. So th- this is in a way your gift to me would be to allow me to get a gift for you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, she has a really hard time kind of wrapping her head around that because but again, like I said, I don't think that's necessarily a cultural difference. I think that's more of like a 
you know, just something she's not used to. I think she can understand the concept. It's just to her, it's kind of like, well, that's dumb. And I think a lot of times cultural differences come down to that where I've seen people and they say like, oh, you couldn't possibly. I've seen people talk to a foreigner about a certain thing and then say to that one foreigner, you just don't get it. You can't get it. It's a cultural difference. This is a Taiwanese thing. You won't get it. And then later on, see them talking to another foreigner about the exact same thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you get it. You totally understand. And it's like, well, if this foreigner can understand it and that foreigner can't understand it, it can't be a cultural difference because those two foreigners have the same culture. Yes, so it's on yes, a person yes. by person basis, not a cultural basis. So I do feel like a lot of times it's just kind of a, more of a personal thing where it's like, I don't feel like explaining it or I've tried explaining exactly. it to you and you're not listening. I don't think I don't think that cultural differences as in the sense that you can't understand it because you're a foreigner. I think that's a cop out. I don't think that's really an appropriate assessment because, yeah, I'll, I'll have things all the time where like people will say something to me and or I, I, you know, they'll say something to one foreigner. You don't get it. It's a cultural difference. They're talking to me later and, you know, it's like, well, you know, and I'll say something. And they're like, oh, yeah, see, you get it. But that's because you're Taiwanese. And it's like, no, I mean, I've just lived here for a long time and I listen to you. There's the difference. <laughs> the difference is I'm listening. <laughs> so I do think communication is really important. Oh, of course. Yeah. Where do you want to go next? Because I think uh, it seems to be have been dictating directions. So. No, it's OK. Uh, we could do I, I do think superstitions are sh interesting, but they're kind of short. So we can just add a few of those on the end, some of our favorites. But uh, I liked your question here about what do you think we could do to improve kind of Gaoshan? Because you were saying that uh, you were having trouble with restaurant menus and you're just getting better, but you're thinking about how oh, it would be easier okay, for foreigners okay. to get here. Uh, do you want yes, to talk about yes. something first? or? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so we live in the south of Taiwan. If you're just listening to this episode, this is uh, part three of an episode where we've been talking about Taiwan. You should definitely go back and listen to episode one and episode two. They're appropriately titled with Taiwan in the name. Uh, if you're watching, you should watch it live as well or watch the previous VODs, uh, videos on demand on YouTube or Twitch or Facebook. They're all there as well. So we live in a city called Kaohsiung. Um, it's about an hour away from Hong Kong, three hours away from Korea. It's, uh, yeah, Kaohsiung is really, really awesome. I like it. I like it better than the capital city of Taipei, but there are lots of things to change. Menus was one of them. I also think there needs to be more done to encourage the use of public transportation. Because here we have a lot of motorcycles, it, it, a lot of electric ones now, but I mean, still a lot of motorcycles. And there's also a lot of people who drive old motorcycles, which is bad for the air quality. Uh, if you're in chat, you could see that I wrote the air quality where I live is 144, uh, which is termed unhealthy by the, uh, I don't know what is the actual government name of that body, but yeah, not good air quality where I live. Uh, Adams is similar to where I am because he's in uh, Sunmin District. I'm in Zoying District. Hey, you're in Sunmin, right? Yep, Sunmin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, better encourage. Like in London, they have a congestion charge. So I think you pay something like 100 pounds to get into the city. I mean, that's crazy for Taiwanese prices, but they should do something along those lines or something a little bit more creative to encourage people who are economically able to say, hey, take the MRT, take the bus take the light rail to where you want to go uh, or pay the pay money to the government because you don't want to take that. Uh, I mean, either way. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people here, like sports cars is a big thing here. Lots of Maseratis and uh, Ferraris and Porsches and like really expensive cars for the, there's a big wealth gap in, in Taiwan, even in Kaohsiung. 
So I think those people especially don't need to be driving these cars, especially. I know a few wealthier friends, they've gone the Tesla route, which is great, but still loads of people drive these horribly inefficient cars. Uh, what about you? Uh, I agree with the public transportation thing. I think uh, definitely, and I think that's a political problem that we have here in Kaohsiung because we'll have you know one mayor from one political party and then we'll have another mayor from another political party. And one party is saying we should increase the number of uh, MRTs and you know light rails that we have for public transportation. And then the other one will say, oh, it's too expensive. You know, It's not paying out. People aren't paying into it because they're not using it enough. And so there's, the, there's that kind of argument that there's not enough money in it to maintain it. And then there's the other argument that there's not enough money in it because it's not everywhere and it's hard for people to get to it. So, of course, people aren't using it because it's not convenient yet because we need that infrastructure first. So, yeah, one side saying we need the money first. And the other side saying we need the infrastructure to get the money. So I do think that's a political issue. For me, I think they really should rethink Pinion. There's the system that they, they don't consistently use one system, which is bad enough. But... The system that they do use, a lot, some of them just don't make sense, at least not in the English pronunciation. Maybe they make sense in a different pronunciation system. I don't know. But like, for example, if you like Kaohsiung, you know, if, if I were to spell Kaohsiung phonetically, at least in English, I would spell it G, either G-A-O or G-O-W-S-H-U-N-G, Kaohsiung. That's how I would spell it. And then that's not even 100% correct because it's Kaohsiung, right? Uh, so maybe like an S-H-O-N-G or something like R-O-U-O-N-G or something like that. But instead, it's not G-A-O, it is K-A-O. So the K is supposed to make a G sound for some reason, a hard G. And then H-S-I-U-N-G is supposed to be shunk. And that's, you know, like the, the, the back part's kind of okay, but it's kind of clunky if you're not used to reading pinyin. Other ones are like a Tai Dong. So Taidong, I've seen it T-A-I-D-O-N-G, and I've seen it T-A-I-T-U-N-G, so it looks like yes. Taitung. So if yeah. you're a foreigner and you come in, you're like, where's Taitung? And there's like, there is no Taitung, it's Taidong. <laughs> when I first came here, there's a place people like to go, it's called Kending, okay, but it's spelled K-E-N-T-I-N-G, Kenting, which I still know foreigners that say Kenting, but it's Kending. Yeah. So the T is supposed to be a D sound. So I, I do think they should rethink Pinion for street signs and that sort of thing. Because sometimes the way that they're pronounced and the way that they're written, don't re they're not intuitive. Uh, so I do think that they should come up with, A, a single system. Because sometimes you see like the same word spelt multiple different ways. So I do think they should standardize. And I do think they should probably pick one of the ones that actually do have probably more of an inherent. And that's the thing. is, is I'm, I'm saying this from an English perspective. I don't know. Maybe in French or something some of these letters make more sense. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a, a language somewhere where the B makes a P sound. I don't know. Or the, sorry, the P makes a B sound, maybe, because Taipei, Taipei. So I think they should do that. I think a lot more websites should have English options. I think that would help out a lot. Because it's not just, say, for foreigners from the West, but you know, foreigners from other countries as well. Uh, lots of people from Indonesia and stuff. I know a lot of people have these Indonesian housemaids and things like that, and they need mm -hmm. to get things done, but they don't always speak Chinese. But most of them do know some English. So I think if they could have at least government websites in Chinese, have some English sites or shopping sites, I think would be a huge boon. There's a site that I go to often, and they don't have an English version of the site, but they do have an English app. So that's super helpful. What site is that? Uh, that is Shopee, I think. Or do oh, they have okay. an English site now? Or 
I've never actually gone. I've only used it on my mobile. Okay. But yeah, I, I, the, on the app, they have the app in English. So it, it makes my life a lot easier when it comes to like payment options and that sort of thing. Uh, and I, I think that really, and this is kind of an education thing, I, I think they should stop treating English as an academic subject and treat it more as like an art kind of thing. Because I, I think it does cause problems in that it's not about learning how to communicate in English. It's about being able to pass a test and get a certain score. And I think that a makes it that the children aren't really internalizing it because they're just memorizing something that they're going to need for this week. And then once that's done, you know, forget it, move on, memorize the new set of vocabulary. They're not building, you know, they're just getting what they need now. I think that's a problem. And then the other problem I think with it is that um, I think it alienates a lot of students to the point where they don't enjoy English anymore and they don't want to learn it because it's, it's boring and it's not fun. I think they really should sell it more as a life skill and, you know, something make it make it some more interesting instead of just this is something that you need to do to pass a test oh yeah i understand why they do it that way but i, I don't agree with it being a good method it's it's a lot of stuff is done uh in such a like a testing heavy way that it's it's such a shame like when people finish university or you know they start working and then the quest for education stops or learning stops for, a lot, I feel like a lot of people like, oh, I'm going to be a mom, I'm going to be a dad, or, and then I'm too busy, or I don't want to learn anymore. And because, you know, testing is such a heavy thing, even uh, for people who are listening, you know, testing is a big thing for getting into an office here. And it's not like your typical psychometric test that you'd get in a Western company or even a bigger Western company. Um, it's very much uh, a math or science or Chinese or law that sort of test, like if you want to work for the post office, you have to pass a written test that's actually pretty difficult and a physical test after the written test. You got to work for some of the big banks, so you have to pass a test that involves English as well. And again, it's not speaking or listening. It's just reading and write, reading and listening, I should, I should say, reading and listening test. Yeah. Um, for Taiwanese government here, a massive, massive, massive test as well. And all this testing does is sort of create a, a negative feedback loop of people associating testing with work. And it's, it's, it's terrible, as Adam said. And I think, you know, we've been teaching for a better part of a decade. And I think we can probably count on maybe not, maybe more than one, two hands, but the number of students who actually have, you know, internalized the English they have learned or English has become a habit in their life. Yeah. Yeah, my one thing that drives my wife nuts is uh, in her company, they do to get a promotion or to get a uh, pay raise, you need to there's a test that you have to take and you basically have to get a book and you have to memorize all these things out of the book. Like, OK, you know, here's this situation. What uh, how do you deal with this? But it's not like a simulation of here's you doing your job. How would you do it? It's It's literally like a multiple choice book answer you study for it and you memorize the answers to get a pay raise you have to take a test and she hates it and so she's taking it you know all her friends are like just take the test and if you fail just take it again later but for her it's just like no this is no i, I don't, I don't want to do it i don't even want the pay raise because it's it's too it's too much work and it's too much hassle and it's just no no thank you i think there's a little bit of a problem there yeah yeah all right, what's next? I guess the in-laws were drawing close to a close, and I think that's a big one. So, All right, go ahead. Uh, so I get along really well with my in-laws. There were definitely, there were no, I wouldn't say there were any problems early on, but there were definitely some stereotypes that they had about me. That's 
really common here in Taiwan. People have a lot of stereotypes about Westerners and some of them make sense and other ones are really, really bizarre. But uh, when we first started dating, uh, I think we went out and I don't remember if it was after our first date or whatever, but I went into the office and I was like, hey, I want to take this girl out. Where is a good restaurant? And some people gave me some suggestions. They're like, well, why don't you go to Pier 2? That's a uh, kind of the arts district. There's some good cafes there. Go to this one. So I was like, all right. So I took her there. And then when we got back, dropped her off and she went inside and her mom's like, oh, where'd you go? And she said, I went to this restaurant. And and her mom's like, was it good? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And, and her mom says, oh, well, of course it's good. He's a Westerner. He probably takes girls there all the time. <laughs> and because that's the, that's the kind of the reputation that, you know, like they're over here, they're stealing our women, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, um, yeah. So that's definitely a stereotype. Uh, but then and then her dad was like, you know, when she's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's from America. He's, you know, a foreigner. And her dad's like, oh, so he probably smokes weed. <laughs> like all Americans smoke weed. That's what they do. <laughs> Right. So there's a stereotype of, you know, Westerners are just they're womenizers. They cheat. They they do drugs all the time, you know, so th there's these stereotypes of, of, of us. And, and, and now, obviously, but but at the same time, there's a lot of people that have really good stereotypes about foreigners. We're like, oh, foreigners are these like really great people. They're free. They're funny. They have a great sense of humor. They're they're not like shy, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of funny because even now, if my mother-in-law introduces me to somebody who I haven't met yet, like, you know, her, one of her old friends or something like that. And she'll be like, Oh, this is, this is our, this is our son-in-law. You know, he's American, he's a foreigner, but he's a good foreigner. You know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, so there's this kind of like stereotype of there are good foreigners and there are bad foreigners. He's one of the good ones, you know? And it's kind of like, it's a weird feeling, you know? Cause it's like, thanks. But <laughs> like, I don't think we could be labeled so easily. So there was that, but there was also some like uh, kind of cultural differences there because when I was little, if I entered my friend's house and if, if the parents were there at the front door or something, you know, you'd say hi. But like, for instance, if the parents are in the back room watching TV, we would just kind of go into the basement or go and do what we said, go, go do what we were intending to do because, you know, it would be considered rude to interrupt the parents with whatever they were doing. You know, maybe the mom's cooking dinner or maybe the mom's uh, working on something or the dad's doing some work or something like that you know going into the room and announcing yourself was kind of rude you know children should be seen but not heard kind of a thing so if you see them you say hi but if they're in a different room you don't go out of your way to find them and say hi so that's kind of what i would do in in my wife's family's house so i would walk in and uh you know i wouldn't seek out the family but then they were like oh he's, he's rude he never says hello you know, and so I kind of had to get used to like, you know, when I walk in, I kind of have to shout out like, you know, Mama, Baba, Miha. you know, I have to say hello to, to the whole house. And then I did that for a while. And then uh, her brother, who's older than her, he's kind of like, well, he says it to mom and dad, but he never says it to me, you know, and, and there's like, <laughs> this is like this hierarchy, you know, because he's the older brother. So he he commands respect, that sort of thing. So, you know, there's kind of this like, you know, the, the hierarchy of who do you say hello to? Who do you not, you know? Uh, because where you you sit on the totem pole so that 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 kind of took me some getting used to but overall I, I get along with them really really well you know I really like them they really like me but uh from what I've seen with other people it's really 50 50 like half the people I know absolutely love their in-laws and their in-laws absolutely love them and the other 50 percent are just like we do not get along I I know a guy who his father-in-law wanted nothing to do with the grandchildren 
because they were half foreigner and just refused to even acknowledge his own grandkids because of it. And then I guess after the mother-in-law died, one of her final wishes was because she kind of, she was kind of the same thing. She didn't like him, but then she kind of started to tolerate him because she loved the grandkids. And one of her final wishes before she passed away was that the father, the grandfather get to know his grandchildren. And so he kind of opened up to the grandchildren, but he never opened up to the dad. So now it's to the point where Chinese New Year, the whole family goes to grandpa's house, but this foreigner dad, he, he has to sit at home alone because he's not welcome. Um, That's terrible. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, like half of the people seem to be in my situation where things are really good. And the other half seem to be in that other situation where it's just the family does not really fully accept this person at all. Um, what about you? What's your experience? Uh, I was going to ask you, are there any like particular like white stereotypes that Asian people have? They're really all across the board. I've got some weird ones. Okay, so for example, one of them was that my, I had a class and the, the girl said, where are you from? And I said, I was from America. And she says, you're not from America. And I was like, yeah, I'm from America. And she's like, no, you can't be from America. And I'm like, why can't I be from America? She's like, you're Canadian. Canadians are white. <laughs> Americans are black. What? I never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. So they, that's what I'm saying. They got some really weird ones. So she was, I, mean, I guess she'd seen like rap videos and stuff like that. And she was looking at the music and she was like, oh, you know, white uh, Americans are black. Canadians are white. And so she refused to accept the fact that I was an American. That was just impossible in her mind. Uh, there was another one where, uh, you know, Americans kind of have the reputation for being fat, right? Yes. A lot of times people think that I'm English because I'm not fat enough. <laughs> but one time we went to my wife, I dropped my wife off at this place and there was a guy, he's kind of a, he has his gym and he says, I thought you said your husband was American. And she was like, yeah, he is. And the guy's like, but Americans are like all big and buff, you know? So his idea of Americans are like the Marvel superheroes. He thinks everybody's built like Captain America or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that in his, cause that's what, you know, American movie stars look like, you know, Vin Diesel or, you know, in his mind, that's what Americans look like. So there's a lot of like American stereotypes. Um, but as far as like Westerners or white people in general, I think there's kind of, uh, yeah, you, you know, we, we smoke a lot of weed. Um, we drink a lot. We sleep around. But at the same time, we're also super friendly and super outgoing. So we're like really approachable, I guess. You know, the kind of people that, you, you know, you, I guess there's the kind of idea that white people are that stoner friend in movies, you know? like a really nice guy, but just kind of like, whoa, dude, you know, I think there's that, that kind of stereotype. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think we have a bit of that. And then the fact that that guy got busted with, what was it, heroin this week from the UK, that doesn't help things. <laughs> really? I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, it was in the news. He was uh, trafficking it. I guess he got it from a guy from Thailand, and he was supposed to give it to a guy from Hong Kong or something like that. Or the guy uh, who got the tattoos on his face. Uh, Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that guy. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. that guy. Yeah. Every time I see that, though, I'm like, please don't be American. Please don't be American. And about half the time it is, and about half the time it's not. So I have the same feeling of South Africans, because I think since I've lived here, I think three South African guys have been arrested for having pot farms in Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, no, why? I know, you make the rest of us look bad. Yes. But, yeah, but then, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, the good thing is I, I'm... I'm brown, and and I guess a lot of people are like, because when I mean whenever I ask students and stuff, I'm like, oh, where do you think I'm from? People always say America. I'm like, no, I'm not from America. England. No, I'm not from England. 
uh, you're from Mexico. I'm like, no, I'm definitely not Mexican, but good guess. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, I've only ever had, I think in 12 years, I've only ha ever had probably three or four students actually had the answer, and the rest of them all go all around the world except to South Africa. Well, yeah, I, I don't think South Africans have as much of a presence here. No, no, no. And you made the point about, like, foreigners. I mean, for people who are listening, Western foreigners, I mean, if South Africa can be counted as Western, we're actually in the minority, the largest group of foreigners here. Because uh, we had, uh, in one of the books we teach in our school, they talk about immigration and stuff. And I, I ended up looking it up. And, like, uh, the Indonesians, Vietnamese, Filipinos are the largest group of foreigners in Taiwan. You know, it's somewhere in, like, the 100,000 mark, something like that. So it's... uh. Yeah, it's interesting. But uh, moving on to the typical end of the show episode, where I ask Adam, what are we talking about next week? Even though we talked about it, but just to double check. All right, we're going to be talking about games again. Okay, and what games are we going to talk about? Are we going to be talking about? Well, I don't know what you'll be talking about, but uh, did I talk about Windbound? I don't remember if I, I've, I've mentioned it. Did I ever really talk about it? I feel like, God, we should remember that. I mean, I'd have to go back and, and let me I don't me think I did. Back. So I'll talk maybe a bit about that, and I can talk about uh, Haven. I've been sure. playing Haven. Oh, yes, and I want to hear about Free Fire and your right. honest-to-God impressions of your right. double-dumping in the game. Yes, yeah, right. All right, what about you? What are you going to be talking about? I'll probably be talking about uh, Cyberpunk, because I finished it a while ago, talking about Control talking about Little Weird as well. We'll probably touch on quite a few games, I imagine, and maybe jump around back and forth between Adam's games and my games uh, just to give you guys an update on what we've been playing. If you haven't been watching the stream, because you should be watching the stream. You should. And I blame you for not watching it. Just <laughs> Yes, so please do that. Do do that. Do that. Uh, my words are all mumbly these days. Do do that. Yes. And yeah, so that is next week, Tuesday at the usual time. Uh, streaming this week, I am no longer going to be streaming with our friend Hans on Wednesdays. I'm not streaming, playing games with. So I might be streaming tomorrow and then Friday no. as usual. Poor Hans. Uh, Hans. Well, because well, we had to change because we're supposed to have a meeting on Wednesday. Uh. Uh, I'm supposed to have a meeting on Wednesday with uh, work-related stuff and at Wednesday night. But then they just emailed me today. I'm like, oh, yeah, we can't do Wednesday. I'm like, oh, come on. So I'll be streaming Wednesday, Friday this week. Uh, Friday, I'll probably tomorrow, I'll have to do Hearthstone because I usually do it on Friday. So Wednesday, Hearthstone, Friday, Control. I'm really enjoying Control a lot. And then, yeah, that's it for me. What about you this week? Uh, I'll be streaming on Wednesday, uh, which is going to be tomorrow, or roughly around this time. And yeah, Friday, unfortunately, I have to do a presentation, so I will not be able to stream on Friday. So just Wednesday for okay. me. No worries. So uh, what are you streaming tomorrow? Uh, I'm debating. I mean, I could do Haven again, or I could try to do some farming in Final Fantasy fourteen because I'm a little behind in there. So I was thinking about you doing should, Final Fantasy fourteen. Do Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't done that had in a, while. a video of you playing that in a while. Yeah. I've heard quite a lot of uh, new stuff and additions and updates and patches and stuff. I'm a whole patch behind. They're getting ready for the next one, and I haven't done the story for the current one. So I am very behind in that because they're, Valhalla they're, they're, has been occupying it's, my it's time. It's made up. I'm sure people love Final Fantasy fourteen video. Yeah. Um, yeah, We have to definitely need to get back to be to cutting uh, videos and putting stuff back up on YouTube and that sort of stuff. Yes. At some point, when you and I become freer, uh, hopefully... Oh, I just keep getting busier and busier. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. That is the unfortunate getting old thing. Yeah. You're going to have to slow down sometime. Well, as long as you don't stop. Yes, as long as you don't stop. <laughs> All right. And thank you, everyone, for watching, for listening. If you're listening on the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to leave us a podcast review because apparently those things do matter. Ooh. And we will see you guys next week, Tuesday, Taiwanese time, Monday night, American time, as usual. Love that you guys have been listening. Really appreciate. We're almost at 1,500 podcast downloads since we started. We're roughly averaging about 30 or so per episode, which is wonderful. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, we thank you guys because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. You weren't. Ah, my English. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. So go ahead. Check us out at all the typical places, you know, Twitch and all that. Twitter, that's the one where you can probably check us at all times as opposed to just when we're online. Facebook and email. And yeah, we look forward to hearing from you and seeing you all again soon. Definitely. And um, I'm trying to do something sort of relatively new. I'll post like an interesting video or a picture or an article on our Facebook and our Twitter and uh, join us in some discussion. You know, like I posted something this past week, uh, D&D, one of my favorite books written by R.A. Salvatore. Uh, they're coming up with an action third-person RPG that I'm absolutely excited for. Oh, nice. I might talk about that next week, actually. And uh, I wanted to see if anyone else is interested. So look out for stuff like that. And if you have an opinion, you like it, you don't like it, you're like, oh, this thing sucks, post it. You know, we'll, we'll discuss with you. You know, Adam and I are busy, but we've got enough time to, you know, hash out a one-liner on our phones while at work. Yeah, we get breaks every now and then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're not slaves. <laughs> All right, thanks, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. See you later.